Well, good morning. We are in week three of the Good Book series, and as we've been unpacking the eight major themes of the Bible in our weekend messages, our small groups and classes have been taking an even deeper dive, looking at God's Word from Genesis through Revelation. The Good Book, as it's known, is really made up of 66 separate books, written by over 40 authors spanning some 1,600 years. Like facets on a diamond, each author's individual perspective shares in God's larger story and complements all the other authors without contradicting one another. Folks, that's a miracle in and of itself. It truly is the good book. These authors are from varied walks of life, including kings and peasants, shepherds and business owners, philosophers and poets. They originally wrote this book in three different languages. For the Old Testament, it was Hebrew. For the New Testament, it was Greek. And for the Gospels, Aramaic. And since the Bible has been trans- since then, the Bible has been translated into 532 languages. 532. And over 2,800 partial translations in different languages. And with over 5 billion copies sold... The Bible is the most widely published book of all time. In a recent series when we talked about the Bible and our essentials, we even learned that the Bible was the most stolen book. It truly is a remarkable book. But if you're new to what Christians refer to as the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures, you'll quickly see that it's divided into two larger sections called the Old and New Testaments. And you can think of these as acts in a play. The Old Testament is everything leading up to the life of Christ. And the New Testament includes the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and everything moving beyond in the establishment of his church. And 2 Timothy 3.16 is a a pillar, a bedrock in our belief that all Scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired. And though there are no original manuscripts of the Bible these days, there are over 25,000 manuscripts, though there are no original autographs, there are over 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. These date just 25 to 150 years past the dates of the events. And when it comes to interpretation of, of ancient literature, you want literature, you want pieces Manuscripts that are as close to the original as you possibly can. And these are just 25 to 150 years away. That's just a generation, not even. For comparison, Homer's Iliad is in second place when it comes to primary and secondary sources. Yet those sources date 400 years past the time of the events. And we only have over 1,700 1,700 pieces. That's not even 10% of what we have for the New Testament. The archaeological findings for the New Testament have been so helpful, so beneficial, and so life-changing because we know that we can truly depend on this remarkable book of books. If you're a guest, if you're just joining us and you've picked a great time to get started, come back next week. You know what? We would say the same thing. It's a great time to get started at any time when it comes to God's Word. But you can easily catch up if you've missed these last couple of weeks 
on the messages that are on our website or even on our South Suburban podcast. I would encourage you to look at um, Pastor Joe's message a couple of weeks ago when we kicked this off, when we looked at God's creation and his big plan for our lives and how we can live our lives to the fullest. And last week, it was a great look as we talked about how God walks with us in the messiness of our lives. God's not far off. He is right here. But this week, we are looking at the bigness of God. This goes deeper than just realizing the size in comparison to the universe. Yes, God is huge. He's massive, I'm sure. But we will look at the breadth and the depth to which God walks with us through our highs and our lows. We will look at the expansiveness of God and his ability to step into our situation. We saw in Genesis that God's original design for Adam and Eve was an intimacy like no other. Before Adam and Eve sinned against God, they enjoyed walking with God in the garden. But sin changed that. Yet sin did not destroy that. You see, God had a plan. And God is still an intimate God. Despite our disobedience, despite our attempt to put distance between holy and unholy, the big God of the universe is the personal God of our souls. He is not far off in the cosmos waiting for us to become perfect or righteous before he steps in and has a relationship. No, he is present here and now. And he has been working in your life and mine. Like a good father, our heavenly father, as the book of Matthew depicts, is ready with open arms and open ears for you and for me. And despite what your relationship may look like with your earthly father, God fills the role of heavenly father just perfectly. For me, I have very positive memories of my dad growing up. We have the big black chair. Every family usually has a throne for dad, right? Sometimes it's a lazy boy. For us, it was a big black chair purchased in the 70s, I think. And I think it's actually still around today. Holy cow. But this big black chair was the Death Star. You see, we also had this white flaccati rug, all right? It's just, if you don't know what a flaccati rug, it's, well, basically we were stormtroopers. White thermal underwear, white socks, White tidy whities Oh, yes. And my brother and I, we would interact and we would replay The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, that happened back then. The original showing in the theaters, right? All right. We still actually have our Star Wars sheets. This is a, man, I got a lot of old stuff. But my brother and I, we would do the army crawl through the Flakati and we would jump into the Death Star and we would spin each other around in this big black chair. And it was tons of fun and lots of good memories. But we would also curl up in this big black chair with my dad. He would come home from the base. We'd have dinner, and it was time for bed. And in this big black chair, we would curl up. And on a cold winter night in Germany, we didn't need a heater. We had dad. And we could hear his heart beating. And we could hear his breath in and out. And as he read books like The Hobbit and The Chronicles of Narnia as a part of our nightly ritual, 
his voice would just resonate throughout our bodies. It was the big black chair. And we could curl up to our, our earthly dad. So let me suggest that today you curl up with your heavenly father. Hop on his lap. Enjoy the warmth of his embrace. Feel the strong, steady beat of his heart. Listen to his voice as he speaks to you. There's no time like the present. Known as the people's writer, Christian author Anne Lamott wrote the book, Help, Thanks, and Wow. And in this book, she boils down prayer to these three categories. We offer prayers asking God for help. We offer prayers saying thank you to God. And we also tell God how amazing he is, how he wows us. And prayer is simply talking to God. It's a conversation. We can make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yet we can also underestimate the true power of prayer. After all, we are having a conversation with the creator of the universe. We are curling up on our heavenly father's lap to share each other's heart. And the Bible is filled with heroes of the faith who revealed their hearts to the Lord and to us. They shared their highs and lows through prayer. They showed us their true colors during their victories and their failures. And today, we'll look at three such prayers in relation to Lamott's book, Help, Thanks, and Wow. These conversations with God were put to music and recorded in the Psalms. And one of the most famous Psalms is Psalm 23. Some of us will actually know this by heart, but let's read it together. And if you need a Bible, of course, there's one underneath your seat. If you need it on your phone, you need the Wi-Fi, the code for the public Wi-Fi is on the back of the bulletin. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The imagery of a shepherd mirrors the life of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. This psalm paints a picture of provision. It paints a picture of a loving shepherd who knows what his sheep need before they do. It is exactly what Christ offers us. He is the good shepherd. Now, many of us, if you're like me, didn't grow up with a barnyard experience. We didn't live in Kansas, sorry. So let's talk about something that maybe we can actually have a connection with a little bit better. And that, of course, is Looney Tunes. It was one of our favorite shows growing up, and some of our favorite characters like Wild E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, Porky Pig and Daffy Duck, and of course, Elmer Fudd and his double-barrel shotgun and fashionable hat. But then, of course, one of my favorites, and I love it because of the juxtaposition, because of Hippity Hopper. And 
How many of you guys have seen some of these cartoons? You, you know what typically happens with Hippity Hopper is you'll have Sylvester, and, and in this case, he was trying to impress his son on how to catch a mouse. And, you know, he runs into the warehouse, and he's trying to catch the mouse, trying to show his son how it's done. And the mouse runs behind some boxes, some crates, and Sylvester comes around the corner, and the mouse has been exchanged with a huge kangaroo a lively kangaroo. And if you hadn't seen the show, just imagine the feet of that kangaroo pummeling Sylvester. Sylvester, of course, takes a cartoon beating of a lifetime, and he comes out. He's all black and blue and bruised up, and his son is wondering what's happened to his father, and that whole exchange going back and forth. And usually in these episodes with Hippity Hopper, there's the big reveal at the end because you've got this exchange where the mouse and the uh, kangaroo are seen at different times. But at the end, there's usually that moment where Sylvester sees the mouse. He's got the mouse cornered. But then in his peripheral vision, he sees the feet. And then he starts to walk up with his eyes. And he sees Hippity Hopper towering over this little mouse. And then, of course, he gets the beating of a lifetime. You see, when we look at how big God is, we see that he is our big help. God is actively present in our highs and lows. He provides for us and protects us in ways that we often don't even see. Though, we won't spare, though he won't spare us from every care and concern, he is walking with us every step of the way, as Pastor Drew shared last week. We are not in this life alone. And did you catch that part in Psalm 23 where the shepherd prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies? It's not that God wipes away all of our problems and all of our adversaries. Rather, we can enjoy the peace of God's company in the midst of the most intimidating of adversaries, the most broken of relationships, and the most horrible phone calls from the doctor, and the most tragic of news. The attacks against you are nothing compared to the peace that God can bring to your life. He is a big God, and he is a big help. I want you to picture our universe when we look at Psalms 121, verse 2. It says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Think of heaven and earth, the, the universe, is just that small little grade school clay project you were working on compared to God. Now, God doesn't turn us all into ashtrays, but But folks, God is big. And why would we keep him at arm's length? Why would we go, why would we only go to him as a last resort instead of the source? You see, he is the heavenly father who we can run to in our time of need. He is the one who we can run to, who towers over our enemies, our fears, our struggles, our addictions. Matthew 7, 11 gives us free license to run to our heavenly father. It says, if you then, being evil, talking about us people, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? We need to ask God for help. We need to ask God for peace. God is our big help. So let's jump over, jump over to Psalm 51, the second psalm that we're going to be looking at. This psalm was written by King David, and it is one of the, mo- the lowest points of his life, yet we see that our big God is deserving of big thanks. And here's why. You see, David was known as being a man after God's own heart, God's words. God gave him that title. But yet in Psalm 51, we see the brokenness of King David after committing adultery with Bathsheba. And to make it even worse, he tried to hide it, the cover-up of the century, in killing her husband. If you want to read the full story, 2 Samuel started in chapter 11. We'll get you there. But as we consider the prayers we can pray, our prayers of thanksgiving for all that God does in our lives impacts our relationship with him and others. I'm sure we have all experienced going out of our way to help someone, but never having it been acknowledged. They never even say thank you. They never express their appreciation. And so we wonder if it really made a difference. We debate whether it was even the right thing to do. I've even learned this the hard way. Having the heart of gratitude, the heart of thanks. This is probably about the fourth senior pastor transition that I've been a part of in my ministry. It's quite a ride trusting God when you don't know what the future lays ahead. But you know that God does. And I remember church I was at in Texas and Things were tight, things were tough, things were unknown, and I'm sitting in the office of my senior pastor, interim senior pastor. It's a fun role. And I'm sitting in there, and I'm griping and complaining because some other ministry got something and I didn't. And he looked at me and said, Michael, you're a hard guy to please. Now, he wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to attack me or anything like that. But that made an indelible mark in my heart because I wasn't thankful. I wasn't appreciative. I was blind to all the things that God had been doing, not only in my ministry and in my life, but in the church. I was missing it. And all because I was having a heart of criticism instead of a heart of gratitude. It crept in. Rather than saying thank you to God and thank you to others, I just complained and whined. And that's our default setting, isn't it? I think this cartoon from Mike Baldwin expresses it pretty well. Two lines, right? (laughs) It is so easy to jump into that line of complaints, to look at how things could get better, because we want them to get better. But we miss that line of gratitude. You see, a heart of gratitude is something that must be cultivated. It does not come naturally. Professional development coach Zig Ziglar said, gratitude is the healthiest of human conditions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have even more to express gratitude for. 
one practical way for us to express gratitude in a season like this is coming up next week. It's in your bulletin, and it's our farewell for the Tantons. For almost two years, they've served us faithfully. They didn't have to, but they were obedient to what Christ had called them to do, to what this church had asked them to do. And next week is a great opportunity for you and I to express thanks to what God has done and even to encourage them in what God is about to do as they launch a campus with Trace there in the monument area. It's an extraordinary time, but for some of us, it's an easy step. For others, you're standing in the wrong line, and you need to move over. You need to get behind what God is doing and open your eyes. You see, we don't say thank you so that we can get more. We want a heart that is appreciative of all that we have. And most of all, we need to express our gratitude towards the Heavenly Father who went out of His way to save us. We give thanks because of the forgiveness made available to us through Christ Jesus. As it says in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you haven't shifted over to the gratitude line as of late, let's do that today. Take some baby steps. We have plenty to be thankful for. And as you begin to have your eyes open to all that you have to show appreciation to our Heavenly Father, you'll be able to see even more and more as time goes on, especially with what Christ did on the cross. In a few minutes, we'll be sharing communion together or the, the Lord's table. Use that time to express a big thanks to God. What has God done in your life this past week, this past month, this past year? If you're stuck, take a moment and ask God to show you. I've had to do that. And he is so faithful. He is so faithful. And it's so neat to see ways that God has worked in my life, in my family's life, in ministry. For God is busy, he's active, and he's loving. So far, we've looked at Psalm 23 and the big help that our Lord is. We've also looked at Psalm 51 and the big thanks that our Lord deserves. Now we're going to continue on with Psalm 139 and consider the big wow when it comes to God. You see, these prayers move from what God has done or what we need from Him to do in our lives. And with Psalm 139, we begin to look simply at how we can celebrate the wow factor of God. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up. But I'll read just the first 14 verses together. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. And you scrutinize my path and my lying down. And are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. We've got an amazing God. And sometimes it's hard for our brains to wrap ourselves around his wowness. One of the challenges of living in a landlocked state like Colorado is that we miss 71% of the planet covered by water. Our vast oceans speak to the vastness of God. And Robert Weiland is most famous for his 100 whaling walls. These enormous Oceana murals have adorned the sides of buildings worldwide. How many of you guys have seen some of his work on buildings and skyscrapers? Mm. Wyland effectively captures the beauty and magnitude of the world below the waves that few of us ever really get to soak in. Here is just a small sample of his work called Wish on a Star. And for me, this split view above and below the ocean certainly has a wow factor to it. It helps me realize how small I am and how much I don't know. Most of all, it shows how big God is. It's amazing. It is within this ocean that we see the largest mammal created by God, the blue whale, coming in at over 110 feet long. And it's contrasted by the smallest of fish, the dwarf pygmy goby. And if you have dwarf and pygmy in front of your name, you are small. <laughs> and it's just 0.35 inches long. God's so creative. God's so amazing. His creative power is spectacular. His omniscience and omnipotence is hard to grasp, yet it is displayed throughout his creation. God is big and I am small. Today we have looked at how big God truly is. He is who we can go to for big help. He is the God we can go to with a big thanks. He is the God of wonder and the big wow. And it is no wonder that God challenges us to live big. With God on our side, with God as our biggest fan, with God leading us and guiding our steps, we can choose the big life. So are we living it? Are we living the life God intended for us? What's holding you back? Is your idea of God too small? Are you prone to relying on yourself and what you can accomplish? Have you lost sight of all that God has been doing in your life? Let's change that today. Let's live big today. Heavenly Father, we are awed 
by you. This good book is amazing. And we'll unpack more throughout this week and throughout our time of curling up on that big chair, listening to your heartbeat. But Lord, right here and right now, we really need to hear your voice. We're open to changing what needs to be changed in our life. Lord, we don't want to change what other people have told us. We want to hear it from you. We want to confirm those ideas with you. So Lord, as we step into a time of response, we open up our hearts to you. Lord, increase our faith in those areas where we need more faith, where we need to call on you for help. God, if we've missed something you've been up to and we haven't shown appreciation, Lord, we're so sorry. Help us to have a heart of gratitude. And God, if we've turned you into something so small that fits on a bumper sticker, Lord, blow our minds. Wow us with your presence with your greatness, with your awesomeness. For you are a big God. Amen.